If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus, if you would, Exodus chapter 20, and we will pick up in verse 1, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. And today we're going to start a series on the Ten Commandments, and so for the next several weeks we'll be in Exodus chapter 20, so if you want to put your bulletin in uh, your Bible right there, you'll be a step ahead next week whenever you come in, and for the next several weeks. Uh, but, but probably many of us here are familiar with the Ten Commandments. Maybe you grew up in church and you heard them in Sunday school, you grew up hearing them, maybe reciting them. Um, used to, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon to see the Ten Commandments, a, a copy of them hanging up on uh, the walls of people's homes. You go in and, and they'd be uh, emblazoned in, in, on uh, some kind of gold uh, metal or something like that. Uh, maybe, maybe as an adult, you haven't looked at the Ten Commandments quite as much. Maybe you encounter them whenever you read through the Bible or you start out reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, maybe you've done an in-depth study on them. Whatever your level of familiarity is with them, my hope is that this study will stir up your remembrance at the very least, and hopefully you'll learn something uh, fresh along the way. Now, I want to recognize at the outset that there are some people, even Christians, that say that the Ten Commandments have no place in the life of believers today. And it's, it's kind of an odd thought to me, but, but some people say, well, you know, that was Old Testament law. That's the Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant that Jesus uh, inaugurated and, and, uh, and made in His blood. And so because that's the Old Covenant, we're, we're under the New Covenant. That doesn't apply to us. And so they lumped the Ten Commandments in with uh, some of the dietary laws that the Israelites had and stuff like that. But I think that misses the mark uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, in the New Testament... Every one of these commandments that are in the Ten Commandments, every one of them is repeated in the New Testament except for the command to observe the Sabbath. And so this is not just an Old Testament, an Old Covenant uh, set of rules that we need to follow. These are uh, New Testament things as well. On top of that, uh, as you look at the commands of Scripture, there are lots of rules, do's and don'ts. But as you, as you look at them, you can trace them back to the Ten Commandments. As somebody as well said, the Ten Commandments are the seedbed that all those other commandments grow out of. So I think this is applicable to us, not in the sense that if we keep them, we'll earn our way to heaven, but it's, it just speaks to everyday life, doesn't it? I mean, there are things that this talks about that are they're what we would call just plain old, regular, everyday life. Things like, like uh, everyday honesty and stuff like that. So where we're going to focus today is the very first command, and it deals with where our heart's at. It deals with our priorities. And it talks about not having any other gods. And, and before we get into that specific command, I, I want us to read the whole set of the Ten Commandments. So if you've found Exodus 20, I'd like you to stand with me if you're able. We're going to pick up in verse 1. And even though we're going to focus on verses 1 to 3, we're going to read all ten uh, today. It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, where we pick up in our text today, the Israelites, remember, they had lived in Egyptian bondage for generations, both them and their, their grandma and grandpa, and, and way back for, for a few hundred years, the Egyptians had had them in their land. And, and not too long before this, uh, this incident, the Egyptians began to mistreat them, treat them very harshly. And so the, the Israelites began to cry out to God for deliverance, and God answered by raising up Moses to lead them out of Egypt. And so as they got out of Egypt and they're headed towards the promised land, they stopped at Mount Sinai, and that's where, we, that's where we are right now. God met with the people at Mount Sinai and made a covenant with them, an agreement with them, and said, this is how our relationship is going to work. And so, so God's people were, were, to, were to relate to him and to one another in certain ways. And so this is part of that covenant. This is part of the requirements that God lays out. And the first thing I want you to see is in verses 1 and 2. And that is that God has a right to be obeyed. God has a right to be obeyed. Firstly, because of who he is. Or you might say because of his nature. Look again at the text. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, God issued these commands. Now, I want you to think about that. God was the one who issued these commands. These are not the musings of Moses. These are not rules and laws that they pulled from from, uh, surrounding nations. These are not rules and and laws that were uh, pulled from other civilizations. These things came from Almighty God. These came from heaven above. And, And so, therefore, because God is the one who spoke them, there is an obligation to obey them. And so look again at verse 2. God starts out this whole list of of commands, and He reminds them that He is the Lord, their God. Now, I know I've mentioned this in the past, but I just want to mention it again because sometimes we read over the Scriptures and we don't don't read with with, uh, our eyes open, you might say. But if you look at verse 2, you'll notice that the word LORD is in all caps. Now, I've, I've mentioned this before, but just to remind you, that is the translator's way of saying... This is the name of God in the original language. It's translated as Lord, but this is, if, you, if we were reading Hebrew, we would see the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, now we talked some time ago, uh, a few weeks back, about the aseity or the aseity of God. In other words, that God has existence in and of himself. He is unchanging. And so you remember at the burning bush, uh, God called to Moses and he said, Go to my people in Egypt, you're going to lead them out, and, and what did Moses say? Well, what if they ask me who it is that sent me? What am I to say? And God said, I am that I am. You tell them I am sent you. God is the self-existent, eternal, never-changing God. He is ever-present. He doesn't depend on anyone or anything for his existence. 
And, and so sometimes we, see, we speak of ourselves as human beings, don't we? But we're not human beings, we're human becomings. What we're doing is we're always changing, we're always becoming something new, something different. But God is a, a being. There is no change with God. There is no growth with God. There's no becoming. He just is. And so when he says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am Jehovah, your God, he's saying, there's something different about me. I'm the one who, who exists, and I always have existed. These idols, these false gods that everybody else worships, there's something different. I am unique. I am special. I am God. And so there's no person in heaven, there's no person on earth that's like the Lord. We're, the, the question is asked in Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 40, to whom will you liken God? And the answer is, no one. You will, you will not be able to liken God to anyone or anything. He's unique and he's unchangeable. He alone is the Lord God. He's the maker of heaven and earth. There is no other. So right at the beginning, God says, I am the Lord. I am God. Therefore, the word therefore is not there. I'm supplying it. Therefore, because of who I am, there's an obligation to obey what I say. But the second reason he's to be obeyed is because of what he's done. Because of his work. Look again at verse 2. He reminded the Israelites that as they camped at the base of the mountain, the reason they were there was because of him. Now, of course, that's true because he is the creator. But more to the point, what he's talking about here, notice what it says in verse 2. He says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he wasn't just saying, you need to obey me because I'm your creator. He says, you need to, to, to do what I say because of what I've done for you. You wouldn't be free if it weren't for me. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even be here if it weren't for God. I brought you out of slavery. I, I freed you from abuse. I freed you from bondage. I defeated the Egyptians on your behalf. And what's more, his relation to them is an act of grace. I mean, you, you just think about it. He didn't have to save them from bondage. He didn't save them from bondage because they deserved it. As we read through the scriptures, sometimes I look at them and I say, y'all are hard-headed. Have you ever thought about that? How, how stubborn they were, how stiff-necked and rebellious they were. God didn't bring them out of Egypt because he was going to derive some benefit from them. I mean, what would now homeless ex-slaves give to Almighty God? They, they, they didn't have anything to offer him. They wouldn't be there if it weren't for God. It was an act of grace. And so, so their response should be one of loving gratitude. And I just want to pause and say, friend, the reason that you're here today is because of God. Why did he help you? Well, it's not because you deserved it. You ever been told you're hard-headed, stubborn, dense? Less than kind things, I mean, those may be the nicest things you've been told. God didn't do these things for you because you deserved it. And some of us wouldn't be here today if God had intervened in our lives in some way. Some of us have had illnesses that we were to the point of death, and if God hadn't stepped in, we wouldn't be here. Some of us have had a car, I've been in car wrecks that, a couple of them, that they could very easily have ended in my death. There have been times when maybe you've been in, in some kind of a farming incident. I mean, you name it, some of us have faced 
almost certain death, but God stepped in. Maybe you say, Pastor, that's not me. I've, I've been very fortunate that way. Maybe you've had a circumstance that if it weren't for God, you wouldn't have been able to make it. I mean, it's, you, you've dealt with loss, you've dealt with suffering, you've dealt with some, some trial in your life, and, and it was too much for you to bear, but God. He said, maybe, maybe you're like, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm 0 for 2. I've not had any uh, near-death experiences. I've not had any real tragic events happen. Well, if you've been saved, if you've had your sins forgiven, that's reason enough for you to respond in gratitude as well. What did Jesus say? He said, the one who's forgiven much, what? Loves much. The one who's forgiven much, loves much. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we see here that these commands apply to every person because every person owes their life to God as creator. But beyond that, we, we owe our obedience to him, not only because it's God that said it, but because of what he's done in our lives. And so the first thing I want you to see that is that there's an expectation, there is an obligation to obey God because God is the one who said these things. So God gives a preface to these commands, and he, he starts out with the first command. That's the one we're going to focus on, verse 3. And really, this, this command is the one on which all others depend. And he says, he says, have no other gods before me. Have no other gods before me. Now, that's simple enough to understand, isn't it? So, okay, Pastor, I understand it. Let's go home. We'll just pause a minute. Because even though it's easy to understand, I want us to kind of dig in a little bit because, because uh, uh, there, there are a couple of things I want to try to clarify. The first is that when he says, have no other gods before me, he is not saying that there are other real, legitimate, true gods. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you have a, 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 a whole bunch of gods to choose from, choose me. That's not what he's saying. There's only one true God. Now notice why I said there are a lot of gods, little g, but there's only one true God. There are many things that are worshipped as God, but there's one true God. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not the God of the Mormons. not the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's the God of the Bible. Now remember, the Israelites had come from Egypt. And if you know anything about ancient Egypt, you know that the Egypt was filled with idolatry. They had a, an, a, an idol. They had a god for just about everything. And that was the, that was the environment that these Israelites had, had grown up in. That's the, one, that's the environment that their parents or their grandparents had been surrounded by. All kinds of idolatry. And so the first thing that God tells his people is if you're going to be in relationship with me, you need to recognize and remember there's only one true God. And it's not raw. It's not ISIS, it's me. And second, when he says that, 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 that they're not to have any other gods before him, understand he's not speaking, I don't know if this is a word, locationally. He's not saying, you have other gods to choose from, just make sure I'm at the front of the line, and if you worship other ones, that's okay too, but just make sure I'm at the front. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, don't have another God in front of me. What he's, the, the word that's translated as before in the original language means before my face, in my presence. And what he's saying is, 
Don't worship anyone or anything not only instead of me, but also alongside me. Now that last bit is what the Israelites fell into a lot of times, wasn't it? Because they worshiped God, but they'd also worship the Baals. They'd worship God, they'd also worship Molech. They'd worship God, but they'd also worship the Ashereth. Syncretism. God plus, you fill in the blank. And God says, no, it's not God plus, it's God, period. There are no other deities to be worshipped. There are no pagan gods. I am the one true God. It's not me, and I, I'm, I'm just one among many equals. It's not I'm one among uh, other gods. I'm just the chief, and they're lesser. He says, there is no other. And you should worship me exclusively. Now, the question that has to be asked of us today is, how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us in the year 2020? Well, there is a negative and a positive aspect of this. On the negative side, there's a prohibition against worshiping anyone or anything other than God. And that's pretty plain, isn't it? Now, now we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because the very next command deals with idolatry, of making graven images. So, and these, these two commands go hand in hand. The big picture here, Generally speaking, understand idolatry really is the root of most kinds of sin. Idolatry is the root of most kinds of sin. And here's what I mean. A person's God is that which they confide in. It's that which they trust in. It's that which they order their lives around. It's that which they will sacrifice for. Their God is that which they, they depend on. It's what they seek their ultimate pleasure in. That is their God. Now, they may not think of it in those terms, but that's what their God is. And I say idolatry is through to most kinds of sin because if you trace it back, the reason that we sin is because we put something else in the place of God in our lives, even if it's just for a moment. So some people, they engage in illicit relationships. Why? Not because God sanctioned them. Not because God approves them. In fact, it's just the opposite. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that the people who are involved in those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means they're not, they're not going to heaven. But they do it because they've set that relationship or that feeling up as God in their lives. And that's what they serve. That's what they, that's what they seek their fulfillment in. Or what about the person that's characterized by greed? They may or may not know that that's the right way to live or the wrong way to live. But they made money and the prestige that goes along with that, they're God. And they order their lives around money. They order their lives around getting more money. They order their lives around keeping the money. They, they get all they can and they can all they get. And so they'll sacrifice anything for that God. They'll sacrifice their family. They'll sacrifice their health. They'll sacrifice all these things for their God. And that's why this is such a big deal, because when we substitute the creature for the creator, that's idolatry. When we put the gift in the place of the giver, that's idolatry. Not idolatry with the hands per se, as if we're taking a a hammer and and a chisel and, and making an idol out of wood or stone. But it's idolatry in the heart. 
It's idolatry in the mind. So on the negative side, there's, there's this command not to have any other gods. But on the positive side of this is that we're to worship and serve the one true God. We're to love Him supremely. They say, Pastor, I don't see that in the text. What does it say? It says, don't have any other gods before me. Where are you getting this from? I'm getting it from the Bible. Now, it doesn't, it's, it's not all unpacked here, but it is later in Scripture. For instance, I'll give, you, I'll give you four verses that I think will expand this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It says, you shall fear only the Lord your God. That sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. Deuteronomy 10, 20. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him and cling to Him, and you shall swear by his name. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That last part should seem pretty familiar because real famous guy said that in the New Testament. His name was Jesus. Remember, a lawyer comes up to him and says, what's the greatest commandment? What's Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is likened to it, love your neighbors yourself. This command in Exodus 20 and verse 3 is the root, is the basis of the greatest commandment. We're to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So this command to have no other gods before him, it's far-reaching, isn't it? So on the negative side, it steers us away from all the false gods of this world, whether it be in the form of a, a physical idol, or whether it just be some thing that we put in the place of God in our, in our hearts. But on the positive side, it calls us to love God with all of ourselves, to set our affections on and to love him and serve him, with our whole beings. Now I'm not going to ask if you do that last part perfectly. Because I know the answer to that. None of us loves God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. We don't do that perfectly. We can always love God better. We can always love God more fully. We can always love God more earnestly. But I will ask about the other side of that coin. And that is, do you have something in your life that's taking the place of God in your heart? Do you have something in your life that has gotten on the throne of your life? Are sports taking the place of God in your life? Is your job taking the place of God in your heart? Is money taking the place of the one true God? What are you willing to sacrifice for your God, little g? Your family? Your integrity? Your health? Now, I've been in some of your homes, some of, you, some of yours I've not. But I'm guessing none of us here have household idols. I hope not. If, if you do, please see me after church. But probably... Most likely, none of us here has an idol set up at home. 
But what we don't do with our hands, many times we do with our hearts. Because we put the creature in the place of the creator. And we can make just about anything a competitor with God, even though there is no competition. Now, I never thought of things in, in these terms before this week, but, but this week I came across a statement, I, I believe it's true. The commentator said, Again, almost all the commands are put in a negative form, thou shalt not, implying that transgression, not obedience, is natural to us. I want to repeat that and give you something to chew on this week. Almost all the commands are put in a negative form, thou shalt not, implying that transgression, not obedience, is natural to us. In other words, our natural tendency is to disobey, to do the wrong thing. That's why God says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And that transgression, that draw to do the wrong thing starts with this first command. And so today, I I said earlier that that we're going to talk about priorities. I want you to evaluate your priorities. I want you to evaluate what you order your life around. If something is taking the place of God, reorganize those things. And, and, And those things are not necessarily bad. But as somebody has said, good things become bad things when they keep us from the best things. And so you may need to reorganize things so that God is in his rightful place. It may mean that you start saying no to certain things and yes to other things. It may mean that you need to change or end a relationship. It might mean that you need to restructure your schedule. It might mean some other change in your life. And I'm just going to tell you flat out, if you're not a Christian, you're not doing any of this. I can say that with certainty because the Bible says that in the flesh we cannot please God. Apart from Christ, you cannot please God. You cannot do the things that make God happy. All those things can only come from a changed heart and that can only be brought about by God. When God does a supernatural act and takes that heart of stone out and puts in a heart of flesh, then you can start obeying God. Then you can start pleasing God. And that happens when we get saved. When we confess our sins to God, when we turn from them and we trust in Christ alone for salvation. That's when we're saved. That's when God forgives us. And if you've never done that, I call on you today, I beg you today, be saved. Once you stand with me as musicians come, And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to ask you, is there something in your life that you've made your God? A lot of times it's a subtle thing. You don't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'll just supplant God. Making something else my Lord, making something else the thing I trust in, that sounds like a good plan today. We don't do that. It's a subtle thing. It happens incrementally, little bit by little bit. 
And before we know it, we've ordered our lives around something that's not God. We forsake the things of God for the things of the world. We replace the Creator with the creature. Or maybe you're here today and you have something that's weighing on your heart. It doesn't have... Maybe it's nothing to do with this, but you have a burden. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. As always, the altars are open. You can pray quietly at your seat. God didn't give us the ten suggestions. The ten commandments say, have no other gods before me. Maybe you have somebody on your heart that you want to lift up in prayer. lost friend a lost family member a lost co-worker that person that you see that's just struggling with life for that person pray for those around you even here in this room